what it was like deciding to get his leg amputated, how to redefine success when facing extreme adversity, how he went from leg amputation to winning his first race in 18 months, how he became a four-time world record holder, some of the unique things amputees deal with, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number two, one, nine, with two-time Paralympian, three-time world champion, and four-time world record holder, Jared Wallace. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm here because you want to be the best version of yourself, but there are so many things that you need to do in order to get there. And because it's overwhelmingly complicated, it's easy to lose focus, easy to lose a sense of direction, which is why so many people end up falling short of their true potential. That's why I create videos, podcasts, and fitness programs to keep you on track to your best you. Go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. Today, I'm super pumped to bring you one of the more unique episodes I've ever done with Jared Wallace. Jared is a two-time Paralympian, three-time world champion, and four-time world record holder, and director of the Affordable Blade Project at Zyborg Incorporated. Back in 2008, Jared was a thriving high school athlete getting ready to go to the University of Georgia on scholarship when he was diagnosed with compartment syndrome. Then in 2010, he had his leg amputated and his life would be changed forever. As you're listening to this episode, be sure to tag me and Jared on Instagram at carrier underscore best you and tag Jared at Wallace underscore Jared. Now, before we get into the episode, Monday mornings can be the bane of your existence. I know it can seem impossible to get motivated on a Monday morning, but not if you receive my Monday Motivation Trio 111 newsletter. Every Monday, I send out one motivational quote, one inspiring video, and one workout to get your week started off with a bang. Just go to nickcarrier.com slash 111-newsletter to get this in your inbox every Monday morning. Again, nickcarrier.com slash 111-newsletter. Without further ado, here's to getting closer to your best you with this super inspiring story from the two-time Paralympian, Jared Wallace. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I've got a super special episode today with the one and only Jared Wallace. And Jared, I just want to start by saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today. Of course, Nick, dude. Excited to be here. We're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, no doubt, dude. Uh, I love following you on Instagram and love your positive energy and love watching the little one that we were just talking about, your 11-month-old, and pumped that we uh, got the time to be able to sit down today. To introduce you a little bit, you're a two-time Paralympian, a three-time world champion, four-time world record holder, and director of the Affordable Blade Project at Zyborg Incorporated. And I want to start off by giving everybody a little bit of context into your story. And so back when you were in high school, you were a cross-country runner, a track runner, and you played tennis a little bit. Um, And then your junior year, you started to feel some sort of pain kind of in your lower leg and your shin area. And in the beginning, you thought it was maybe something similar to shin splints or something like that. But then you went and saw a doctor and you got diagnosed with compartment syndrome, which essentially is when swelling occurs within groupings of muscles, nerves, and blood vessels in a leg or arm, impeding blood flow. And then fast forward kind of one and a half, two years, I guess the condition worsens a little bit, and you have a number of different surgeries, and then you had a, a complication with a surgery leading to the possibility of maybe I need to have an amputation. And so with that being said, I want you to talk about the decision of whether or not to amputate and what that decision was like. 
Yeah, totally, man. You know, and I think you, thanks for giving it. You did a great job. I need to just record that and, and memorize that because you did a great summary. It was a nice elevator speech of, of, uh, of what happened. Because uh, people are like, tell me your story. And I'm like, how long do you have, really? Yeah. Though? <laughs> um, but no, I appreciate the, the intro. And, and yeah, so it was, it was kind of interesting. And, and it was really important that you kind of talk through that timeline because that 18-month journey of a total of 10 surgeries and being in a lot of pain and, and, and mental pain, psychological pain, emotional pain, physical pain, as well as just, you know, lost total loss of identity going from being an elite athlete to literally sleeping on the bedroom, my parents bedroom floor, of my parents room, you know, uh, when, when I got to the point where it was amputation was on the table, I was almost at a place where I was, I was willing to have that conversation. I think if we would have, you know, rewind 18 months and day, day, day one, you know, waking up from surgery one, my attitude probably would have been a little bit different, you know, you want a what? Um, but because of that experience, because of that 18 months, because of the, the hardship during that time I went through, I was able to consider amputation. Um, you know, I wasn't excited about it by any means it, you know, when, when I was flying up to meet with the doctor that we knew that was going to be the kind of the crux of the conversation, but I was willing to get on the plane. I was willing to sit in the office. I was willing to have the conversation. I was willing to consider the possibilities. And one unique thing happened in that moment at the doctor's office. Um, he was sitting there and we were talking and he said, you know what, Jerry he said, you know, it seems like you kind of have a good grasp on, on everything, obviously your, your past experience and what we've been talking about today. He said, I want, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take your leg off the table. Let's move it out of the conversation. I want you to just think about what would you want your life to look like? Like just whatever, what do you want your life to look like? And I was like, well, you know, leg off the table. I'd obviously I'd love to run again. You know, I'd love to be pain free. Um, you know, Lord one day be able to play you know, ball in the backyard with my son, you know, like just, I just wanted to be normal. I wanted to have a normal life. And he was just like, man, he's like, that's amazing, but it's not realistic with the leg you have. And in that moment, and I didn't realize it till even a few years later, um, but during that season of 18 months and during that season of, of a lot of surgeries and lost identity, I also lost my ability to dream. And, and I lost the importance of uh, or the knowledge of the importance of dreams and, and how they what, what role they play in, in, in your life and, and how you move forward. And, and I was ultimately, I was letting my present circumstances dictate those dreams, right? I was letting my environment that I was in, the pain that I was in, not allow me to kind of look ahead. And in that moment, he, he removed that hurdle that, that had been in the way. He removed that roadblock and, um, and turned it into an, an accessible route. Um, and, and I walked out of that, that meeting knowing, you know what, he's right. I'm not gonna be able to do those things with my leg. So let's, let's have my leg amputated and, and uh, you know, move on with my life. Yeah, yeah, so I definitely wanna get into a lot of the things you just talked about in terms of how you were kind of at the time letting your environment and your circumstance to determine kind of a limit on your dreams, but kind of to go back to this 18 month period that you're talking about to give everybody a little bit of context, you were what a freshman or going into your freshman year, getting ready to be a scholarship athlete at UGA. Is that kind of the right timeline? Yeah. So I had basically signed with Georgia um, to run track about a month after the surgery that kind of hadn't gone great. And so we didn't really know how, like ultimately how bad it was. And, and we didn't know what the outcome ultimately was going to be I'd been recruited by a bunch of a bunch of colleges at the time Georgia was the only one that kind of 
honored their, their offer. And so I went ahead and signed with them and, and, you know, go through that semester, finishing my senior year, going through surgeries and realizing, you know, I don't even, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to run again. And then obviously getting to Georgia my freshman year and realizing pretty quickly that I'm not going to play any role in this team from a competition standpoint. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was a, and it was tough. You know, you live your, you know, your entire childhood as a competitive athlete and, you know, every kid's dream in some capacity who does sports is to play at the college level and potentially at the professional level. And so, you know, that was my next step. And, and my, both my parents competed in college at the University of Georgia. So being able to follow in their footsteps was another thing that was just super exciting. And then, and then to have all that taken away, man, it was, it was tough. It was a total loss of identity. Yeah. And so you talked about how kind of during that time period, you lost the knowledge of the importance of having a dream. Do you think that, like you said, you were having a bunch of surgeries, they were trying a bunch of different things, and, and nothing was, was seeming to work. Was it really the conversation around, like, look, you can have this amputation and your life has the potential to potentially look like this, maybe I could still do these things. Was it that hope that kind of brought you out of the, the negative mindset that you were in, or was it something else, or what helped bring you out of that negative mindset? Yeah, I think that it was, I think there were two, two things. I think, um, I think I was a little tired because I tried to kind of do everything on my own during that 18 month period. Like I kind of, uh, let my faith slip to the side. I let my, um, just, uh, satisfaction of life slip to the side. I let my joy drift away. You know, it was kind of like everything, everything just got muddied. Um, you know, and again, that was because I was looking at my present situation and letting that dictate everything. And it was an unfortunate and it was a bummer time. But um, the reality is, is, um, you know, adversity happens to all of us, right? Adversity is relative. Uh, that was my story. Everyone has their own story of adversity. Um, and, and the number one way to come out of adversity is to stop, you know, microscoping in on it and, and, and stepping back and, and, you know, trying to find the silver linings and uh, trying to learn and grow and, and say, what is this moment teaching me and how can I use it to become a better version of myself? And I think that, you know, it was, it was a process of being tired of trying to get all the answers on my own and, and getting back to kind of letting go and, and trusting the Lord and trusting people around me to, to guide me and give me advice. And, and then I think that it did come down to like, just realizing, man, like, I could potentially have my life back. I didn't know what scale, you know, I didn't, I didn't have no idea that it was going to be followed by two Paralympics, world championships, world records. You know, I, I, that, that wasn't part of the initial decision, but, um, you know, it, it, it really, um, I think it really stemmed the decision stemmed from those two, two things, kind of a desire for normalcy and a desire to stop trying to do things on my own. Yeah, I like that. I like that combination. So back in 2010 is when you had the amputation. Let's kind of pick up the timeline a little bit from there. It took you, uh, I have down six weeks to start walking again and about three months to start jogging again. What's what's that timeline like, the six-week, the three-month timeline? Because I know that anybody who's driven and has some sort of dream out there and has some sort of vision of what I have the ability to do, can sometimes be impatient with it. Like, like, come on, all I want to do is walk. All I want to do is go on that uh, first jog. So what was that like waiting period like the six weeks and then the three months leading up to jogging? Yeah, that's no, a great, great question. And I think um, it, it flew by in some sense. And, and it's, it's funny because I've never really fully thought about that until you just asked that. And my initial answer is it went by pretty daggum quick. 
And I think the reason is, is because I just went through two years, right, of just like dragging. And so, um, you know, there's a, there's a great lesson there too. Like, you know, yes, there, there are hard times, but when you come out of them, it, it, can, it, it can bring new perspective, right? And so the things that you have to wait for, the delay of gratification, you, you become better at that. You know, you become more willing to receive that, that delay or be patient in, in whatever that um, new goal that you're going after, right? Because things don't happen overnight. You know, no one who's achieved any, any type of success or reached a goal, you know, had it one day, woke up the next morning, it was there. It's just not how it works. And so I think that that was a, that was just a huge part of making it seem so short. Um, but you know, also just, and it was, it was so cool to have, I think I had such a clear goal. I knew that six weeks was the soonest that I'd be able to walk. It was six weeks in the day. I knew three months was the soonest I'd be able to run. It was three months on the day, you know? And so it was like, I had goals. I had little tangible goals. Yes. At that time, my goal was to be one of the fastest Paralympians in the world and, and be on the world record list. That had, that was my big goal that I had set, you know, but I know that in order to reach those lofty goals, you also have to have, you know, checking, you know, checkpoints along the way. And my first checkpoint was obviously walking. My second checkpoint was jogging and, and you would kind of move up from there. So the timeline I think felt narrow because of the experience previously. Um, but it, it also, you know, it also just, it, it, it came so quick and, 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 I think my just joy and excitement to, to have those moments allowed me to, to, to just, stay stay consistent day in and day out waiting for that you know that that moment to arrive yeah no i think that's i think that's awesome that you bring that up because i can definitely definitely relate with that when a few years back one of the biggest things that i struggle with i guess i would say is being patient with the journey is just like now i just i just want to reach that next level i just want to make more money i just want to reach that next level of, of success yada 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 but then i realized probably about like a year ago that i was being more patient and i was like why am i being more patient. And then I realized that because I was being so much more deliberate of giving myself like, okay, let's have this done by the end of the week. Let's have that done by the end of the next week. And I was having these small checkpoints. And so I kind of realized that I was almost like tricking myself into being patient by just achieving the goal that I want by the end of the week and by the end of the day. And I think that's something that is a huge learning lesson for everybody in order to be more patient. Totally, man. And that's a great point. You know, as an Olympic athlete, we have you know, a one, one major event that happens every four years. And, and so we set a goal where we want to be there, but in order to achieve that, we set that goal and we work backwards all the way to the day that we're writing those goals down. And, and, and I think that that model, is, which I know every Olympic athlete does is a great blueprint for people to practice in their own lives saying, Hey, yeah, I want to be there. But if I spend every day, I wake up every day, I'm training focused on the four years out it's going to get exhausting and I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have any tangible checkpoints. I'm not going to have any feedback on, on, on how I'm doing. And, and man, it just, it's just going to burn you out. So I, I think that totally patience, um, patience is, uh, I guess, drawn in with, with intentionality, um, towards those small, small checkpoints. Yeah. I like, I like the way that you said that it's drawn in through intentionality. I like it. Um, so one of the things that I think is really important for people in order to continue on their on their route to success, if you will, is redefining what success means for them at a particular season in their life. So to kind of frame it up for you, when 
you were going to UGA, you were going to be a track athlete, you had these goals in mind, and then everything happened. And so you're like, okay, now I have to de- redefine what my goal is, I have to redefine what success means for me. You were getting ready to have probably go to uh, Tokyo for the, the Paralympics and everything happened and you're not able to go. So it's like, okay, now I have to change my goals, I have to redefine what success means. So kind of just on that that topic, what would talk about the importance of redefining success in the different seasons of your life, if you will, and how you go about doing that. Yeah, that's a, that's a really big question. I, yeah. I think that there's a lot of layers there, um, and I'll do my best to kind of uh, peel the onion of that question down. Cause yeah. That, well, and you um, can talk about it. You can talk about it in the sense of like maybe the couple of examples that I brought up, like how are you redefining su- success now having pushed the Olympics back and, and, and that sort of thing, if that helps. Totally. Yeah. I think that, um, so the first thing that kind of comes to my mind when, when it comes to just uh, overcoming those obstacles and and uncontrollable situations as maybe we'll we'll call them. Um, there's a, there's a difference between, um, what you do and why you do it. Um, I believe. And, and, Knowing, knowing your why is vital in helping you navigate the uncertainty. Um, and, and, and what I mean by that is if you just focus solely on the things that you do. For me, if I just focus solely on, you know, just training and what my performance is and just the races and all of those things, when they go away, Maybe it's because of a pandemic. Maybe it's because, you know, I'm ending my career. Maybe it's because I get injured. I, I don't have anything, right? It's almost like, it's almost like, again, another identity crisis. And I think I learned this lesson through, you know, again, that rough season of, you know, if, if my identity is solely driven by my works, then I'm going to, when, when something happens, which it inevitably will, I'm going to, I'm going to feel like I'm on an island by myself. Um, and that's where the why really comes in and why you do doesn't, why you do something doesn't take away from the, what you do. If anything, it fuels it. If anything, it gives it a really, really strong foundation to help when those times of uncertainty come and when those moments of uncontrollable situations happen, you have something to kind of lean into. You've, you, you know, you have that, um, you know, foundation, uh, that you know, you can, you know, rely on. And so that, that's kind of the first thing that I would say, it, you know, to help navigate those, you know, those uncertain times. I think the other thing that, that, um, that I've learned and, and, you know, I've been, been a professional athlete now for almost 10 years and it's, it's hard to, to grind for that long, you know, like the same events and, you know, year in and year out and staying healthy and trying to kind of train properly and peak properly. And, and you're just, your job's just different. It's amazing, but it's just different. Um, and so I think one of the things that, that I've learned too, is just the importance of like, the importance of like not taking yourself too seriously, like the importance of, of understanding, understanding your goals, understanding your value, like pursuing them, having, having the checklist as we talked about on, on the journey, but also like, you know, just being able to be real 
you know, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to feel like I I need to take a break from this for a little while. Um, And I feel like there's just this big um, stigma around that, especially from an elite athlete standpoint, you know, people, people just have this pressure. They always have to perform. They always have to be on. And it's really hard to be on all the time. Um, and one of the reasons that athletes burn out a lot is because they don't take the time to, to, to turn off. And I'm saying athletes specifically because that's my experience and that's my, my space. But I promise you that translates into the business world. I promise you that translates, it, translates into any industry. Um, and yeah, maybe you can get a lot out of yourself in five or six years. But man, you're, you, you really are setting yourself up to hit rock bottom if you don't um, manage your time well. Um, and rest well so that when it's time to, to, to turn on, you have the energy and capacity to do so. Gotcha. Yeah, I love those couple things. Um, love those couple things for sure. Relying on the why to get you through. Um, I, think that's, I think that's super powerful. But I want to kind of go back to, kind of get back to the timeline here. So three months, you said three months on the, on the day was when you kind of went on that jog game, which is awesome. What, what next? What's the, what's the first thing that's like, okay, I want to compete in this. Here's how I'm going to start training. What's what, what does the story pick up from there? Yeah. So my goal, my goal setting began, honestly, the, the day I left the doctor's office, right? So the yeah. day I decided I'm going to have my amputation, I was 20 minutes later, I'm on the computer at the hotel, Googling Paralympic track and field, running with blades. And I found the world record list. And I remember calling my parents' room, literally pointing the screen saying, my name's going to be on this list. I, I'm going to do this. Not why I'm having my invitation, but we're going to go after this. So, you know, in, in that short of a period of time from the doctor teaching showing me that I wasn't dreaming and I was like, Oh, cool. Like, let's go, let's go set crazy dreams. So, you know, basically day one, get the running blade and it's like, okay, now we gotta, now we gotta, you know, start getting a coach and start training and, and, and get ready to, to go after this. And, and really the first, first uh, kind of checkpoint, big checkpoint goal was to make the, make the, the team in 2012 uh, in London at the Paralympic Games. So, you know, it was about 18 months out from, from that time. And so, you know, it was a pretty quick turnaround, but I, I was, you know, I was kind of determined in that sense to do that. So, um, you know, I, I, I made the team for the Pan Am Games the, the year prior to that in 2011. I won the gold medal there in the 100 and um, ran the fastest time in the world that year. So that was that was pretty awesome, um, you know, and that was kind of my first taste of um, success, you know, and, and, and getting to put back, put a uniform back on, you know, I went from wearing my high school uniform to wearing the next uniform I wore was a USA uniform. And the first time wearing it, I you know won the gold and got to sing the national anthem. I mean, it was just such a surreal experience. Um, and then obviously was able to make the team in 2012 and, and have a great Olympic experience for the first time. Uh, and that really just kind of catapulted me and gave me a taste for, um, for, for just, how to be, continue to become the best athlete that I can be. And, and, you know, running the 180,000 people really got me uh, hyped up. And, and I was like, man, I want more of this. This is amazing. And uh, 2013, I made the world championship team. And that was where I um, kind of achieved my first big, big dream, which was breaking the world record. Um, so I broke the world record at that event three times um, in two separate events, prelims in the 200, the finals of the 200, and then on the four by one relay. So came home with uh two golds and, and three world records, which was a crazy, crazy experience. Jeez, that's, that's awesome, dude. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like you said, it was such a quick turnaround, like 18 months away for you to be able to do that. That's absurd. Um, from an athlete, an athlete point of view, you ran cross country in high school and you ran track, but a little bit on the, the longer side of things, you know, 
relatively longer, as, as long as track can get. But now you're doing like 100s and 200s. So from the standpoint of both like the physical side and the, the mental side, what's, what was, what's the biggest shift from kind of that longer race to the shorter race, both, like I said, training and from the me- mental side of things? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's a completely different sport. I mean, honestly, I, you know, I, I had to completely transform my body. I probably put on 30 pounds of muscle, you know, I was about 107 pounds coming out of the surgery. Um, I'm 145 now, you know, so think about that, that transition and change the changes that had to go into play there. Um, you know, obviously a lot more weight room stuff than before, you know, that went from running 80 miles a week to, you know, one mile a year, right? <laughs> you know, like it's just, you know, all, all speed, pure power. Right. Um, but the really cool thing is, uh, I, I've, you know, I've refell in love with track and field, you know, because it was so different. It, I mean, it was obviously the same sport, but it was just so different that I, I refell in love with the sport. I refell in love with the, you know, technical aspect of, of it. I had nothing to compare it to. Right. So it was an 800 and 1500 meter runner. I, mechanics are completely different race strategy is completely different. I don't ever start out of blocks, you know, so my only, only knowledge of being in a blocks is wearing a prosthetic. So I'm not in the blocks being like, Oh my gosh, this is so much harder than it with when it was with two legs or whatever, you know? So, um, I think I'm, you know, definitely, um, grateful that, that, that it was just like kind of a, a smooth transition in that standpoint. Um, it definitely is, it, it, it is one of those things that, um, you know, I enjoyed the process of the 800. I enjoyed the process of the 1500. Um, the hundred, you don't have time to do anything. <laughs> and so it's just like gun goes off 10 seconds later, it's over, you know, hopefully things went well, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's kind of it. The 200 is a little bit different, but yeah, it's definitely a lot more of a mental game, uh, in a sense of a mental preparation. You have to, have to do a lot more on the front end and you have to go in with one or two cues and just execute and just trust the training and the preparation. So, um, whereas the 800, you can kind of just depends on who's in the race and what the goal of the race is. Are you racing the time? Are you racing to win? What, what does that look like? Um, so there's, there's a little bit more um, malleability maybe that goes into the 800, where in the 100, it's you're in your lane, it's you in the clock, and you have to execute to the best race possible. Yeah. And from a tactical standpoint, obviously, like a, with the longer races, you have probably a little bit more strategy because, like you said, it's a little bit more malleable on how you want to approach it is 100 meters simply get the greatest start off the block as you can and just sprint or what's what's more to the strategy look like yeah so there's three phases of the 100 there's your your drive phase which is the initial part of the race your transition into your top speed you know you can even say that transition would be you know four when your transition then your top speed and then everyone decelerates in the end of the 100 meter race at the end of any sprinting race but specifically the 100 meter race so the person who wins the 100 is the person who slows down the slowest wow. so think about that everyone's slowing down whoever sets up their race to where they begin decelerating closer to the finish line typically wins the race now there's some outliers in that but that's typically the issue so you know when you look at you know you seem both obviously just the most well-known runner people have watched him just he's done amazing things everyone thinks that he's just blowing past people and just picking up speed all the way through he's not everybody else is just slowing down a little bit quicker than he is right so his race is set up and because he was so tall his start was never his best 
So he was really, really patient and took a lot of his top speed closer to the finish line, which is what made it look like he was speeding up while everybody was slowing down, but he just wasn't slowing down as quickly. So um, pretty, pretty interesting philosophy there, but um, yeah, I mean, it goes down to, I mean, I know how many steps I take in a hundred. I know, you know, where I need to be breathing. I know where I am at 30 meters. If I've rushed my transition or not, I know that that's going to affect the last 10, 15 meters of my race. So what I've got to do in the middle to make sure that I don't impact that. So there's a lot of processing that has to go on very, very quickly. Um, and, and if you're not ready to basically check down, um, it's, it's, it, I would say the hundred meters is like the Super Bowl, except it's one play. Yeah. And you got one play to read the defense to, as a QB to, to check down, to, to call the right play, and it has to be the right play or, or you lose. Yeah. And that's kind of the equivalent of the, you know, the Olympic you know, finals. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I knew there was obviously more strategy than just like freaking run as fast as you can. But I think that getting all that insight is – because everybody has watched a 100-meter uh, a race and probably everybody – thinks that it's just a sprint. There's not that much that goes into it, but there's a lot that goes into it. And I think that the decelerating thing uh, is really cool. I never knew that. Never knew that. Um, but I want to give everybody a little bit more insight into kind of your day-to-day. So I know there, obviously you wear a blade for racing and then not a blade, I don't know what, it, what, what you call it, outside of that. But what's kind of the, give us a little bit more insight into your day-to-day in regards to, maybe some of the things that you have to experience that people wouldn't under people who don't have any relationship with anybody would understand. Yeah. So, you know, obviously wearing a prosthetic, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is I just have to remember to put my leg on when I wake up in the morning. So, you know, if I can do that, you know, it starts off, the day starts off well, um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, obviously, People don't sleep with their shoes on, so I always kind of equate the leg to shoes. So I, I take my leg off when I'm sleeping. Um, I have a leg that I wear when I'm in the shower, a different leg that, that I spend most of the day in. I have a leg that I lift weights in. I have a leg that I, that I sprint on. Um, I have a leg that I do long jump on. Yes, yeah, so there's, there's kind of a specialization. That was kind of the fun part for me, right? So I had a deformed, semi-deformed limb before I had the amputation. And I was like, man, like get rid of this thing and I can get like six or seven legs. You know, I need, I got a, a leg for every activity I need to do. So, uh, um, you know, it's, it's fun. I love having kids over the house because they're like, how many legs do you have? Yeah. I have a lot of legs, you know, like totally. Um, but yeah, I mean, just from, from a day-to-day thing, I mean, it, it really, it's amazing. The technology's allowed me, there's really not a whole lot I can't do. Um, a lot of people forget that I have a prosthetic because I just, I move around so well. Um, when I'm out playing golf, it's amazing. All people come up to me and be like, dude, like, didn't even know until we were, we're like having a conversation or we're on like three holes in and they're like, wait a second, you have a prosthetic. And I'm like, yeah, we've been, we've been playing for like 30 minutes. How'd you do that? <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I think that, that, the, the one thing that's really helped me as an athlete um, is I've really, from day one, took a, a strong interest in how the legs worked. And I think I've always been a student of anything I've been around, but I think that that's one of the things that helped me, you know, hit that six-week timeline, hit that three-month timeline, you know, from a walking and running standpoint, as I really just became a student of, of te- the technology. I became a student of, of what should I be feeling and, and how normal, you know, should, should my gait be, how... Um, you know, how should the blades work? You know, now I work with a company in Japan designing the blades. You know, I've gotten to that point where I 
truly understand the ins and out of what I should be feeling and helping, you know, an engineer kind of walk through that process. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been really a, an amazing thing. I think that, um, I think, you know, just it is in any, in anything, you know, this was a, something I didn't know was going to happen to me 10 years ago. Right. And I chose to become a, a, an expert at it, you know, and that was my goal is I want to be, you know, the most knowledgeable that I can be in, in the, the world of prosthetic technology. I'm, I definitely don't, don't know the most by any means, but I know enough to, to make sure that I can be the best athlete, you know, that I need to be and the best, you know, just walker, you know, you, you know, even something as simple as just walking normally, yeah. uh, you know, you'd be surprised to, you know, kind of think about that. But when you're getting your legs made and, and, and changing different things, like, you have to walk a bunch and change your alignment and change how the foot hit contacts the ground and, you know, to be a student of that and to really be able to um, know what needs to be done to, to, to make that as normal as possible has been, you know, fun, uh, but definitely just a new kind of a new thing that I've had to learn. Yeah, no, that's cool. And then I definitely admire the fact that you've become a student of it and you're doing some awesome work. Uh, like I mentioned in the intro, you're the director of the Affordable Blade Project um, at Zyborg Incorporated and... I read that a lot of blades can cost more than $15,000. And there's obviously a ton of people who are experiencing this sort of thing who don't have the ability to afford that. And so kind of based off of that, how many people really are dealing with this and, and aren't able to afford something like this? And, and tell us a little bit about the, the work that you're doing with it. Yeah, well, I mean, just in the U.S. alone, there's two million, two million amputees, um, which is a large number, I think, more than what a lot of people would consider. And, you know, obviously not every one of those individuals are going to, you know, be, be looking for a running blade, you know, but even if just say like 10%, you know, <laughs> would be interested, it's still a very large number, right? 200,000 yeah. people that are, that are interested. Um, and, you know, as you said, they're extremely expensive. So $15,000 for the total um, you know, legs. So that's the socket, which is about $7,500 and the blade, which is about $7,500. So, you know, we can't, we can't fix all, all, the, all, you can't fix all the problems if you will. But um, one of the things that Ken, the engineer in Japan and I have, you know, worked on is how can we find a way to make the blades more cost effective, both through manufacturing and distribution. So um, we're, we're in the process of working on that right now. Um, we're in phase two and um, our goal is to be able to make a, a, a blade accessible um, at around $1,000 for the consumer, um, as well as having a leasing program for kids, because kids obviously grow as they go, um, as they get older. So, you know, if you have to spend $7,500 on one blade for a kid, and then six months later, he grows out of it, you know, you're not going to be able to do that all the time, right? So we're going to develop a leasing program where when they grow out of it, they can send it back, exchange it, and we're going to give them a new blade. So super excited with the things that we're working on right now. Um, obviously, from a manufacturing standpoint, we've got to make sure that it's uh, up to up to the quality that we uh, expect it to be. And, and that's, the, you know, the main focus that we're we're doing right now. Um, but we're, we're super excited. We have a, a launch event uh, next week in Japan. Um, for uh, the kids version of this and so we're, we're really excited to hopefully have this thing rolled out sometime next year and, uh, and and again be able to give people the opportunity to just enjoy the um, you know sometimes most overlooked uh, normal thing that humans get to do and that's just just run and be active uh, especially for kids you know they just want to play and, and because they have a prosthetic sometimes doesn't mean it means that they can and so we're, we want to give them um, the ability to take the joy of running home with them. That's awesome. That's awesome, dude. Such cool work. And uh, 
obviously cutting down the price, 14,000 bucks is going to be, I know, a huge game changer and life changer for, for so many different people. So I definitely admire the, the awesome work that you're doing and that you'll uh, continue to do with it. But to kind of change tones a decent amount, before we hopped on, we were talking about your, your 11-month-old and, uh, and how that was the kid that you want to throw the ball with in the backyard to be able to have the ability to do that. What have you learned about yourself over the past 11 months since becoming a father? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, the past uh, past 11 months have obviously been a little bit of a crazy time for everybody. And, and uh, we, uh, we are fortunate, honestly, in the sense that he came when he did because we've been able to spend a lot, a lot more time than than maybe uh maybe we would, we would have um you know we would have been just getting back from japan right now you know the games ended last week uh technically yeah, right, <laughs> so, right. uh, you know the world world kind of looks a little different now than we thought you know obviously when he's coming along but as far as being a dad man it's it's just the coolest thing you know I, you don't know that there's another level of joy in in life until you uh until you have a kid and and just getting to to learn from him honestly and and um Learn the importance of like communication. Obviously, you can't speak, but like the the nonverbal stuff, and even like knowing it's crazy. Like just know know what one cry versus another, or one you know scream versus another. One's playful, one's like I hurt myself, you know, right? So just the ability to have like that kind of connection. Um, probably the coolest coolest thing I've ever experienced in my life was a week ago, and I walked down the stairs and I was like, "Hey, Levi," and he looked at me and he went, "Dad, Dad." Oh no! (laughs) Little dude knows me. Um, So yeah, it's just man, it's crazy. I think I've just, I've I've personally, you know, I'm trying to continue to just learn, learn patience. Right? We talked about that that earlier. And and sometimes as someone who's very driven and very motivated, um, and you know, that kind of always looks, you know, has check marks and goals and everything. uh, Just the importance of like, you know, he's he's 11 months, you know, he's not going to walk right away or whatever, you know, like let him do it in his own time. And, 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 you know, there's no standard or whatever from that standpoint. So yeah, just, just patience. And, and then again, man, just learning there's a new level of joy and love that I never thought would be, would be untapped, but it's been special. It's so cool to watch my, my wife and best friend be a, be a mom. She's a rock star. And, and I think that that's, you know, aside from little man, but obviously he's a huge part of that is, is getting to watch her just, um, be an amazing mother. So that's, that's been, been probably a, a, a right up there in the greatest joys for me as well. That's awesome, dude. So cool. So cool. Um, well, before I ask the last, uh, last couple questions, I want you to just kind of talk to everybody, like you, you kind of mentioned early on, everybody has experiences that are the uncontrollable experiences. People, I mean, hell, everybody's going through COVID and quarantine right now, but a lot of people get thrown big challenges that are out of their control and they haven't experienced anything like that before and they're not sure what to do with it and they're down in the dumps. So kind of with other people in mind, but also with you with you in mind, back in that 18-month period where you were experiencing the uncontrollable and you're like, what the heck is next for me? What would you currently say to that 19, 20-year-old Jared Wallace to help him through that situation that he was in? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, I think that um, when I look at, I guess, you know, when I, a, when I look back at that kid or when I look at, you know, moments of adversity or, or uncontrollable situations, I think there's two major things that come to my mind. Um, the first is um, just the ability to, like, step back. 
um, and, and I, you know, I've said this, you know, <laughs> probably three or four times already in, in this call, but just the ability to um, remove yourself from the present situation, you know, it's not letting that circumstance overwhelm you um, when it's so hard to do that, right? It's so hard to be in a moment of hurt and pain and loss and tragedy and whatever it may be um, and, and, and step away from it for a second. But I think that that practice and the ability to do that is the difference between like really successful people and pretty successful people, right? And I'm not saying that you can't be successful either way, but I think that there's a there, there's that that one percent differential, and I think that that one percent does exist in the ability to be able to zoom back a little bit and and and, and gain that gain that perspective. Um, the other thing, you know, because I, and the reason the reason that is is because when we get in those moments, our desire is to just take control, mm -hmm. take control of anything that we can, regardless of if it's healthy or not, regardless of if it's going to move us in the right direction or not. The immediate response to um, an uncontrollable is to find where we have controllables and just lean into them like crazy. Um, so the, the second thing that I would say, um, knowing that what I just said at the beginning is next to impossible, right? It's next to impossible to tell someone, Hey, stop feeling the way you feel and be better. You know, <laughs> like that's, that's unrealistic. And the reality is, is if you're not willing to say that you're hurting, if you're not willing to meet, meet yourself where you are, if you're not willing to experience a little bit of that pain, you're actually never going to be able to step back. You know, you have to, to, you have to even know that you're going through something before you can step back. You know, so there's a, there is a, a, a massive need for self-perception um, or, 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 you know, identification of the situation um, in order to, to zoom out. But I think that, um, you know, if we can, at some point, if we can be willing to get to that place where we can zoom out. Where we can step back um, that's going to be a huge a huge um, indicator uh, of our ability to move forward um, and then the second thing is is you know goes back again like I was saying it goes back to just addressing the reality that that's that's gonna be really difficult to do um, you are going to control some things when that time comes um, but the question and the important thing is is what are you going to choose to control yeah. And where are you going to allow those controllables to take control of you in, in a sense? And so um, having some level of structure or consistency or scheduling that you lean into um, is, is paramount. And, and I think that, you know, I look back at, at past eight months and COVID and everything that we've done, the people that we've been through as a country and as a world, the people that I've talked to that have tried the best to maintain some type of routine have been the ones that have had the most stable mental health, the most stable, you know, emotional health, the ability to just transition smoothly, um, the least reactive. Um, and, and so what I mean when I say kind of have some controllables is, is when those moments of uncertainty happen, um, knowing that you've got a structure in place that is not going to cause you to be reactive, yeah. to cause you to just vice grip on things that aren't very healthy because of, because you didn't prepare. 
Um, and so it sounds weird to prepare for bad times. <laughs> you know, it sounds super, um, it doesn't sound very inspirational right. to say, hey, bad stuff's going to happen, so be ready for it. That's not always the case, right? I'm not telling you to worry about everything all the time. What I'm telling you is, is practice the little things now and be great at the little things so that when bad situations come up, when the unknown happens, when the unexpected happens, you're, you're going to be in a headspace where you can address it, zoom out, and continue to stay in a routine that's going to help you succeed through that time versus it just completely throwing you in a snowball down the mountain and you wake up one day and you're like, who am I? Because that's what happened to me. Yeah. It threw me off of a mountain and 18 months later, I was like, who is this dude? Yeah. Where did he come from? And he came from not, not being prepared. Yeah. Well, I love that, dude. I think the, the combination, like you said, of being able to zoom out and have that perspective on the situation is key, but that's really hard. And then the more practical side of things to be able to have that routine, to have that solid foundation of things that keeps your mental game, your emotional game, your physical game as optimal as it possibly can be considering whatever it is that you're enduring. I think that those are awesome things. And I like that one was kind of a, more of the idea and the other one was a little bit more practical. And so I think that was perfect. Um, but second to last question, Jared, is I think that in order to get, for me, in order to get closer to the best version of myself, I try to gain more clarity each and every day on what the best version of myself looks like and what that person is capable of. And then every single day, I try to reverse engineer that person into reality. And so one of the questions that I found very beneficial for myself, which is what I'm getting ready to propose to you, is what is a skill or a piece of knowledge that the best version of yourself has that you don't currently have? Hmm. I'm going to have to think about this one. Take your time. Yeah. Um, it's a great question. I, I would say um, the first word that comes to my, my mind is like steadiness. Um, and I think what I mean by that is like... Um, regardless and, and it goes back a little bit to what we talked to right uh, we just talked about but regardless of uh, the circumstances regardless of the moment um, being able to kind of take the punch take the hit take the response mm. navigate it not react to it let it sink in and then kind of choose how you're going to use it versus kind of again as a uh, someone who's like very goal oriented, very driven, you know, sometimes we get, get on these laser beam, laser beam focus. And if something happens outside of our, you know, our plan, it, it can just kind of throw you off guard. Right. And so I think that one of the things that, um, I I've been working on honestly this year and, and, and probably having a kid is, <laughs> you know, one of the things that have, has really challenged that because, you know, it's hard to always have a routine and, you know, you can't control when he's crying or if he's going to have a bad nap or a good nap, whatever it may be. Right. So, um, being able to, um, you know, be, you know, again, uh, more steady and, 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 and malleable as, as you go through those moments. Um, I think it's one thing I watched my dad do a really good job of growing up and why, you know, it's probably something that I, I want to aspire to one day. He's, he always did a really good job of leaving work at 
work home at home and and never being too reactive to really anything that goes on you just kind of you know i'm not going to have super strong thoughts one way or the other i may but i'm not going to you're not going to know that i (laughs) that i do so um yeah i would say that would be um that would be something that i you know i want to continue to be better at yeah that's uh that's interesting a while back, I, w- I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the. I didn't go to the game, but back when the Super Bowl was in Atlanta, I was able to go to like a a couple days before to a blue carpet thing, and I talked to uh, a former football coach whose son is an offensive coordinator or is a one of the coordinators or a special teams coach with Sean McVay on the Rams, and I asked him about what makes Sean McVay so special, and he said that. He is steady as can be. And he said that no win gets him too terribly high. No loss gets him too terribly low. No individual thing in any practice gets his tempers flaring too terribly much. He's steady and and can be even keel um, consistently. And that's what a lot of coaches, I guess, he talked about didn't uh, didn't have the ability to do. And that's kind of the first thing that I thought about when you when you said that. So I think that's a... Really cool that you identified that. Love that. Yeah. Uh, well, before I ask the last question, I want to acknowledge you, Jared, for the ability to come out of that that eighteen month period, um, and for you to absolutely make the most of the situation. I mean, I hear I've heard the phrase before that life happens for you, not to you, but it's kind of the decision on your part to be able to say that this is happening for me and for you to make the absolute most of the situation and go on and have world records and, and have championships and all that kind of thing is so admirable and um, definitely, definitely respect to the mindset that you've been able to continue to have over the last nine years after uh, after the incident. And then also want to acknowledge you for the new the new level of joy that you've been able to find with, uh, with having Levi and just that that new journey that that you're going to be on. I know it's going to be super special. No, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. It gave me another, uh, another why, you know, we talked about your what and your why and, and having, having little man has, has added another layer of why to that foundation that really helps drive me to continue to, to pursue my what clearly. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I know you guys are going to want to make sure you get more of Jared. So make sure you go to his we- website, jaredwallace.com. Make sure you follow him on Twitter and on Instagram. I already mentioned how it's awesome following him on Instagram. So make sure you go to at Wallace underscore Jared uh, to go follow him there. And I'll have all that stuff linked up in the show notes. Is there anywhere else that people should go learn more about you and support you? Uh, it's great, man. I mean, obviously, Cyborg, you can follow them as well as we continue to move forward with the Affordable Blade Project. So it's Cyborg, X-I-B-O-R-G. Um, so yeah, definitely follow them on, on Instagram as well as we reveal uh, kind of the, the amazing things that we're working on. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, I definitely will. I can't wait to see all that stuff. Well, the last question, Jared, is I think that getting closer to the best version of yourself is a constant journey. And I think it's a unique journey. I think the way that I get closer to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So for you personally, if there are three things that you can currently do or three things that you can currently work on to get closer to that best version of Jared Wallace that you could possibly be, what are those three things that you could currently do or work on? Yeah, I would say um, I would say three three words that just come to my mind is is um, pray, patience, and persistence. 
Um, so pray, pray more, um, have more patience and be more persistent. And I think some people may hear that last one and say, you know, why do you need to be more persistent? But I think that um, persistence in the right place is healthy persistence in the wrong places. And so um, having, um, when, I, when I'm feeling anxious, praying more, right? When um, I'm feeling uneasier, when I feel like my goals aren't happening quick enough, practicing going back to that patience. Um, and then the reality is, is things don't happen overnight. There's a level of persistence necessary to achieve those things. Mm, I love it. I love it. The three P's. Awesome. Awesome way to finish, Jared. I appreciate it, man. That's all we got. There you have it. What a story. Jared is such an amazing example of allowing life to happen for you, not to you. He was 19 years old when he thought he was going to be a thriving D1 college athlete. And then his life completely turned around in a different direction when he had his leg amputated. But this man turned it into a superpower. Make sure you share this episode with a friend or family member who you think would be inspired by it. Send it to someone who needs some perspective in their life right now. Send it to someone who is going through something and needs some help finding their way out. All you got to do is send them the link, nickcarrier.com slash podcasts slash Jared Wallace so they can get the audio, the YouTube video, and the show notes. Remember to be patient. You must be intentional. If you're intentional about setting daily and weekly goals, daily and weekly progress marks, then you'll find your ability to be patient with the journey. Remember to keep in mind why you do something rather than just what you're doing. Remember to lock in your small habits and routines that are benefiting you. Because if you have these routines ingrained in you, then when things go south, which they inevitably will at some point, you'll be able to stay mentally tough and find a way through it. Be sure to go to follow Jared and support Jared as he chases down the 2021 Tokyo Paralympic gold medal. But for now, it's time. It is time to take action. Time to be intentional. Time to practice the small things. Time to remember why you do what you do. Because if you can do these things on a daily basis, they will, without a shadow of a doubt, get you closer and closer to your best you.